read from God's precious word. First Peter chapter five verse one: The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, and not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Spencer, do I need to mess with this or has it been running all this time? It's been running. Okay. Um, the message this morning from primarily chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 is uh, titled Egyptians Hate Shepherds. And the subtitle is Because Egyptians Hate Sheep. I know that's a strange title, but we'll hopefully clear it up in a moment. Egyptians hate shepherds. Parentheses because Egyptians hate sheep. And the Apostle Paul is coming. Apostle Peter is coming here to the point where he's exhorting the elders who are among those who are going to face the intense persecution that we've been talking about all along. That's the setting and context that we've talked about all along. He addresses the elders. In the Scriptures, the word elder, bishop, overseer, and pastor are used interchangeably to refer to the same man. Uh, some churches have a structure where they'll have a, maybe a set of pastors and then elders, a separate board or whatever, um, but that's not biblical. The only problem, that's the Bible. Other than that, it's a great idea. Um, then, uh, and then um, some churches are structured where, frankly, the deacons lead the church. I happen to be raised in one. And uh, if you're not called to be a spiritual leader and yet you're given spiritual leadership responsibilities, you'll make the best human decision you can come up with. Because it, got, it takes God's anointing and power to lead. And those who are called to lead are the ones to lead. And he's telling us how the pastor is to lead. Elder here speaks really to spiritual maturity, not age. It just means that the pastor is to be spiritually mature, and that's why he's often referred to as elder. When you see it referred to as bishop or overseer, it primarily refers to the responsibility. One term is spiritual maturity. The other one is spiritual responsibility, which is to oversee and shepherd and feed and teach the, uh, the church of the living God. He said that to the elders I, who are among you, I exhort... The word exhort means to call alongside. Just a parenthetical, and I don't say that. Well, it's not a parenthetical, but just a side note here. This is Peter writing to pastors, addressing directly pastors who were in, have been given shepherding responsibility over God's flock who are about to face intense, intense persecution. And Peter does not identify himself as having some ecclesiastical authority over them. He says, I am a fellow elder. Catholic doctrine holds to the fact that Peter was the first pope and that he has 
the leader of a line of successive heads of the church and would say that the Pope is the head of the church. Catholic means universal. And they believe that there's one universal church and, and the Pope is, is the head. And that line started with Peter. And they derived that primarily from Matthew chapter 16 when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't saying I'm going to build my church upon the rock of Peter. He was saying I'm going to build my church on the confession that Peter had just made. And that is that Jesus is Lord. So he says, I am a fellow elder. So the only thing, the only thing that's problematic about the papacy is the Bible. Other than that, it's a great idea. It's the Bible. It stands in front of and it is an aberration of biblical faith and the papacy is profane. Charles Spurgeon spoke and said that every Christian ought to make it his business to daily pray against the uh, Pope because there's only one head of the church. Anybody who would don that title does not know the God of this Bible. There is no way that somebody would take on and saddle themselves with the title head of the church if they really knew the head of the church. Because John Paul and Francis and all the rest of them have not spilled one iota of blood to purchase the church. Christ did. There's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. So those that would say He's the first pope have to edit out 1 Peter chapter 5 because he says, I'm a fellow elder and I'm not taking my apostolic authority or any papal authority and exercising it over you. I'm coming along beside you as a fellow elder to talk to you as a peer. P-E-E-R. Peers. We're peers. I don't have any authority over you. And this is an apostle who said that. So that destroys the notion of the papacy. And I know some of you come from Catholic backgrounds and some of you are witnessing the Catholics. The papacy is profane. It is demonic. And so he says, okay, I come along beside you. I exhort you. I who am a fellow elder, I come along beside you. But I'm also this, though. There is something unique about this. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. The reason that I believe that that's inserted here is, is Peter saying, you know what? The suffering that I'm trying to prepare you for through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know something. I witness the suffering from which that suffering comes. And I want you to know something. It was successful. It was successful. Christ purchased His bride. The suffering. Do you remember we talked about it last week? Christ's own mission on earth did not accomplish His mission through miracles. He accomplished His mission through suffering. And so He said, Christ's suffering, I watched it happen. I saw it happen. And I've now seen in the aftermath of it when I was preaching at Pentecost on the day that the church was born and 3,000 people all over the world get saved like that. And the church comes forth like that. That I have seen the evidence of God's suffering. I've seen the fruit of His suffering. Let me tell you something right now. Your suffering, God works through believer when you're in the middle of His will for redemptive purposes. Good comes from it. Hallelujah. He said, I've been a witness to the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. We've talked about this time and time again. Hope of future glory motivates faithfulness in the present. It really does. And you know what? He was also standing there 
on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus, flanked by two other apostles, and they went up there to the mountain at His bidding. And He says, some of you are going to see the glory of God before you ever leave here. And they're going, what? And then He carries them up the mountain. He carries Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And what does He do? He un he, he uh, unclosed himself in front of them and they see the glory of the living God. He said, listen, I've seen a preview of coming attractions. That suffering ensures that you and I, as repentant believers, are going to partake in future glory. As you know, you can wear almost anything if you have hope in the future. You can bear a marriage that seems almost unbearable if you have a comprehensive view of the transcendent attitude and fruit that can come from bearing under suffering. You can bear just almost anything. You say, oh, that's not great news. Yes, it is. Because in the middle of the most intense suffering is when God touches you the greatest. It's when God imparts grace that you experience and you know it's from Him and can't be from another. And so he says, a partaker of future glory, remain faithful. The suffering that you're about to go undergo and the suffering that you're going to lead your flock through is redemptive and at its core and good things come from it. And that is the hope of future glory as God calls out men and women and boys and girls to His bosom as their Savior and the Lord. He said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers. That word shepherd, we've looked into that word before and talked about it. That's when the pastor, this guy is referred to as pastor. Feeding and teaching. Feeding and teaching the flock. You know, he would have been familiar with that. There would have been some echoes in his mind, surely, when he wrote that. If you go look at John chapter 21. Let's go look at that with Peter. You know, there's no accident as to what is said in Holy Writ. There's no accident as to who the God tapped on to write it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote this to Peter. And there was a conversation that took place between the Lord and Peter in the aftermath of uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. He's, our Lord told him He would when things got rough and it looked like He was about to be crucified. And for every one of the denials, Jesus in His grace and mercy gave three times for Peter to affirm one, a denial and an affirmation. So three times in chapter 21 of John, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Said to him the third time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. I care about my people. Feed my people. We've talked about it before. It's just worth noting, and I can't leave this text without at least noting it here. Peter was a proud man before he denied Jesus those three times. But Jesus used the denials to break him. And evidence of, evidence of his brokenness is found in this text. Because when he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. When Jesus asked him that question, the first one, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you 
agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Sean, and Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you agape me? And he said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He was showing him to be a broken man. Before those denials, he would have said, yes, Lord, I agape you. Count me in. My love for you is as every bit sacrificial as the love you have for me. But God broke him. And now, he has a, an accurate assessment of how, much, how strong he is apart from the touch of God. And that is, Lord, best I can do is fill you. He said, well, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, son. And when I do, I'm going to work through your witness to birth my church. And then there'll come a day, tradition has it, you'll be crucified upside down because you didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner that I did. We need Him. He was a broken man. And God gave him right there the priority for which he wrote when he came back over here to 1 Peter in 1 Peter 5 when he said, Shepherd them. Feed them. If you love me, you'll feed the sheep. You will feed them good feed. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Go over there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Dads, I'm not going to try to, to, to use biblical license here, but I will say that I don't see anything wrong with listening carefully to what um, Peter is saying here and apply it to your lives and leading your families. Shepherding your families. Shepherd the sheep. They're under your care. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is within you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on hands on the own of the hands of the eldership. Listen to this. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be made evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. It's been said before that <clears throat> practice, doctrine without practice is dangerous. But practice without doctrine is deadly. That's true. That's true. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe. And the shepherds are to make it a priority to meditate on the Word of God, to feed the flock wholesome food, and to say, you know what, you can graze here. And by the way, when things come along and appetites come along and they're tempted to graze somewhere else, we're also responsible for saying don't graze there. That's not good food. That's going to hurt you. The flock of God. It just shows the love that God has toward His people. He said, shepherd the flock of God. Don't you always get nervous? Rick and I were talking about this the other day. Don't ever want to go to a church where somebody says, well, that's so-and-so's church, and name it by the pastor. Oh my, don't ever say that about this church. I've never heard you all say that before. Please don't ever do that. That's Brother Lindsay's church. Oh no, it's not. I didn't spill my blood for you. Had I done it, it wouldn't save any of you. This is God's church. It says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, which He purchased with His own blood. 
our disposition towards one another in the church or to be raised to new heights in how we treat one another. Because I'm here to tell you, there's a holy fear that should fall on anybody in spiritual leadership. Do you realize the price at which those you lead were paid? And it was the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled to pay for His church. The blood of our Savior. Bless His holy name. He says, Shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers not by compulsion, but willingly, obviously, motivated by love. Motivated by love. Love will take you to places that nothing else will. Love doesn't need attention, credit, or affirmation. Love is not about what you can give to relate, take from relationships. Love is about what you can give to them. Love gives when it receives nothing in return. It couldn't care less whether it's ever reciprocated. If it is, wonderful. If it's not, that's okay too. The Apostle Paul said that to the Corinthian church. He was dealing with a church that was a spiritual mess. They were, serve, they were suing each other at the Lord's Supper. They were divisive. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. I'm sorry, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were suing each other in civil court. And there was incredible sexual immorality among them. And he said at the end of the book of 2 Corinthians, the more I love you, the less I am loved by you. He said, but you know what though? I'm willing to spend and be spent in order for your, your spiritual care. That's the heart of a shepherd because that's the heart of Jesus. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. My, do we live in a time where charlatans are plenty enough who are motivated by lining their pockets and abusing God's people. We see it happen all the time. Those who would raise vast amounts of money only so they could spend it on themselves and ride around in fancy cars and live in fancy houses. Exploiting God's people. Look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise of what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. There are those among us who would cause divisions and offenses contrary to Christian doctrine, motivated by lining their pockets and their egos. Pill for God's people. Tell them what they want to hear at the expense of what they need to hear. Running a popularity contest. The flattering tongue, the Bible says, worketh ruin. The Bible says an open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. We want to know the truth because it is the truth that makes us free. We don't need shepherds that are after dishonest gain. doesn't mean we're supposed to starve them to death. This means that the motivation for ministry cannot be money because if it is, then you'll shepherd and lead as a hireling rather than a shepherd. A hireling runs when trouble comes. A shepherd stands in the gap between the sheep and whatever trouble exists that would threaten them. You don't want a pastor who's a hireling. I promise you that. 
We have far too many of them in the ministry. Far too many of them. God help us that we would never be one. He said, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, being examples to the flock. Our Lord Himself in Matthew chapter 20. Let's go look over there if you will. Matthew chapter 20. Look what He says. Matthew 20. Verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it, not, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. You can hear the teaching and the discipleship of Peter ringing true in his writings in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You can hear the things that God our Lord invested in His mind and put into practice. And you can hear Him probably thinking while He's writing this about Jesus donning a towel and washing His feet. Even objecting to it and saying, Lord, You'll not wash my feet. And He said, listen, if I don't wash your feet, I don't have any part of you. He said, well, wash my feet and the rest of my body too. And He said, listen, your feet will be fine because I've spoken the Word to you and I've cleansed you. You're mine. I heard Erwin Lutzer say this the other day. We were down at Vidalia and we were driving in the car. I thought it was a wonderful statement. He said, the deeper you go with God, the lower you're willing to stoop to serve Him. That's a good word. The deeper you go with God, the lower you're willing to stoop to serve Him. Oh my, do we need some servants. Amen. Those who would brandish the towel and be able to say in the body of Christ, we care not whether or not anybody's noticed. We care not whether or not there's ever even an intention given to it or credit. We just serve the living Christ. Matthew chapter 2. We've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again, God willing, in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 6. Dads, this is speaking to you and I. Heads up. And I'm not just speaking, it's not speaking just to you, it's speaking to you and I. So I'm certainly not excluding myself. This was said of our Lord. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We talked about this before. As a father, as a future leader, Chris is about to become a leader of a home. We celebrate that. Ryan just became one. We talked about the fact that God, through the Holy Spirit, strikes a beautiful, fluid balance between those two. That ruling without shepherding is tyranny. And shepherding without ruling is chaos. And so the spiritual leader is to be the ruler and the shepherd. And only the Holy Spirit can strike that balance. Otherwise, we'll get out of balance with one or the other. If we're spirit-led men and spirit-controlled men, we will rule, but we will rule as shepherds, not tyrants. And if we shepherd, we'll shepherd and not, and, not shout, and not cower away from ruling because that's what we've been called to do. And if you and I have spiritual leadership responsibilities, and as men we do, along with the responsibility comes the anointing and the power from God to fulfill it. Praise His holy name. 
where God guides, He provides. But our Savior is the model of that. And it's the one to whom we depend on to make it a reality. So he said, shepherd the flock that's among you. Let's go back over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's be shepherds. Let's be nurturing. Let's be attentive. Let's be serious about the Word of God. Let's feed one another. Good feed. Let's be careful. Let's ask God to give us discerning spirits about all the things that are floating around there and all the access that we have to every kind of abhorrent uh, Christian mutation uh, teaching that you can imagine. He said, Shepherd the flock among you, serve as overseers, looking out for, tending to them, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not being as lords of those who have entrusted in you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory, which does not fade away. That's the motivation for faithful service. There's a crown of glory clothing those who are faithful, who endure to the end. And those who are really saved do endure to the end. Praise His holy name. I just want to ask you this, and I feel bad about doing it, but I guess, or not to feel bad about doing it, but I really would appreciate you praying for me. I really would. I, I, I suspect you do. And I, and I know and some of you come up to me and tell me you do. But I want you to know I desperately need it. I desperately need it. And I'm not trying to pour mouth or anything like that. I just desperately need it. And I appreciate if you pray for me. I'm not saying this in a selfish way, but from a spiritual leadership way. It would do volumes for your children to understand pastoral responsibility and appreciation and authority if you begin to enlist them to pray for their pastor too. I feel selfish in saying this, but i got to say it to you. It's the right thing to do. Please. I mean, I, and of course, if we had these children praying for me, that really made me happy too, because you know God hears that. But I need prayer, because everything that we've been called to do is a supernatural thing. But I want to show you something. God hates shepherds. I mean, the, the Egyptians hate shepherds. Let's go look at... Uh, look, look at um, um, yeah, God doesn't hate them. Um, see the spiritual warfare that's going on? Let's go to... Um, I want you to look. God hates shepherds. I mean, the Egyptians... I did it again. I just see if y'all are listening. Um, Egyptians hate shepherds because Egyptians hate sheep. Now, typology. You heard that fancy word in the Bible, typology. There are types in the New Testament that point to and tell us things that we... Uh, symbols that, we, we, that are illuminated in the Old Testament. And... and, and in the Genesis narrative, in the Exodus narrative, in Pharaoh and all the dealings that Pharaoh had, Egypt is a picture of the world, and Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. And so, um, here we have, in, the, in this part of the narrative, we have Jacob. And uh, his sons have already gone up to Egypt and have been taken care of by Joseph. He reveals his identity to them. Then Pharaoh finds out that Joseph has a father and brothers who are still alive in Canaan. But they're starving because you remember that we're in the middle of a famine that God told him was going to come. A seven year famine. And so when Pharaoh finds out that Joseph has family, Joseph has such favor with Pharaoh, he says, go down there and let's send carts and provisions and let's just overwhelm them with gifts and you bring them back up here and they can feed in Egypt and we'll take care of your family. Well, that was prophetic because God had told Joseph in a dream that his family would one day bow down to him and he would take care of him. And sure enough, he did. And so now, 
they got in the in the in the in the in the carts. He sent carts for them, and and they all got up together. And this wonderful reunion takes place where Jacob finds out that Joseph, his son, is alive when he thought he'd been he'd been killed and mangled by a lion. He finds out he's alive, and not only is he alive, but he's second in command in Egypt, and and he's going to take care of the family. And they and and they come back together and they have this beautiful reunion. It's wonderful. It says on there that they. Uh, he said uh, that they wept uh, when they got together in verse 29. It says, Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen. This is chapter 46, verse 29 of Genesis. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. He wept on his neck a good while. I'll bet so. Imagine what kind of reading that must have been. Realize his son, his precious son was alive. And not only was alive, but he was going to be the instrument that God used to save them from starvation. And then look at verse 30. It says, Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. Every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. You know, you know what the New Testament truth of that is? Every pastor is hated by the devil and worldly people. Some of which creep in the church. That's what it means. You know why? Because the world hates us. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, you know what? If he hated me, they're going to hate you because you're of me and from me. So don't take it personal because the hatred they have for you is my fault. But if they loved you, they would love, they would love you if you were their own. But they hate you. And he said, I want you to go up to uh, Pharaoh and I want you to tell him when he asks, because he's going to ask you. He knew how it was to be in front of Pharaoh and, 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 and Joseph had an ingenious plan. He said, if you go up in front of Pharaoh and he said, he's going to ask you what your occupation is. When he asks you what your occupation is, tell him you're a shepherd. And so that's all you do. That's what you know. And when he hears that, He's going to be disgusted by it. But you have favor because of me. And since he's disgusted by the, your occupation, but yet you're in favor with him because of me, and you make an appeal to live and sequester yourself in Goshen, he's going to, he's going to let you do it. And by doing that, you're going to maintain your identity among the Egyptians. So you're going to still keep your, your distinctives. And you're not going to intermingle among them because one day I'm going to send you back to the promised land that I promised to give your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he used that to keep them sequestered in Goshen so they wouldn't intermingle and they would keep their cultural distinctives because one day the Savior was going to come through them. But you know what? The devil hates shepherds because the devil hates sheep. And so I want to just tell you that we need to just pray for me and, and pray for Pastor Brian. Can you imagine the amount of spiritual warfare he's about to face? I'm here to tell you. 
There are no easy decisions he's going to be called upon to make very soon. And there's going to be some life issues that are going to be in front of him. And I promise you this, I love Brian and I respect him. And I greatly appreciate him. But he's not smart enough to figure them out. He knows he's going to need God's wisdom. Please make it a point to continue to pray for him. We've partnered together with him. We're in it now. We're putting our hand in the plow. We're not going to look back. Brian, do you need prayer? Okay. Pastor Bruce over in Kenya. He shared a personal prayer request with me this week. I emailed him last night. I couldn't hardly get the email to go through. I said, I, I mean, I tried 15 times to get the email to go through because I had a scripture I wanted to share with him. And I said, the devil must not want this to go through. I'm going to go over and lay hands on that modem rapidly. <laughs> See if we can get it to go through. Sure enough, it went through last night. Praying for one another. Pray for him. Gather around your family and make it a habit habitually to pray for Pastor Brian. He flat needs it. Pray for all faithful pastors that will be faithful and remain faithful. This week I went to a counseling session with a former friend of mine. Not a former friend of mine. Somebody we used to be in fellowship with and he called me and he said, man, I need you to counsel about something. So I met him up at Chick-fil-A. My office is Chick-fil-A. i got several of them. And... Um, <laughs> And so I went up there, and while I was gone, the child were over at our house, and Jill said, I'm, I really wish you could come to the house because Greg has given you something. I don't know what it is. It's ticking, you know, um, joke. Uh, and um, so um, there was one time we were at the Holcomb's house, and he had some special cheese with him, and I liked the cheese, and I thought, well, he's giving me a slice of that cheese or something. So, uh, but I said, well, I, sure wish, I wish I could go home and see it. But I, so I got home later on that night after we did our Bible study, and, and, I, and I, I, <laughs> he gave me this. <laughs> Two of them, actually. And you can't see that, but that says a cat head biscuit from the great little boy. Amen? Isn't that cool? Y'all see that? We're selling these for $50 a piece. <laughs> if you'll get with Greg, and uh, we'll take the orders today, but then, then on the back of it, I thought this was the coolest thing. You know what that is? It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20, 14 through 21. The prayer I pray over the church. I greatly appreciate that, Greg. I really do. And you know what? I got two of them now. Hallelujah. So wear one out, we'll go to wearing the other one. But here's what I want to say right now. I appreciate if you pray that God would habitually give me these to lead this church. Because see, there's a difference between the Word of God and the Word from God. And the Word from God, sometimes it's hard to get. You have to be tenacious about it and stay with it. Because I want to lead the church in the way that God would have us lead it. Not me. Because I'm, 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 I don't, I don't know anything apart from Him. So I'd appreciate it if God, you just ask God to give us habitual and Brian as well and Bruce, cathead biscuits from a great little glory. That's what that means when you take up the armor. See the armor, that last piece is, as you know, the only offensive part of the weaponry, and it's the sword of the spirit. And that word means rhema, rhema, and rhema is a timely word from the living God for the moment you're living in. Cooked up fresh. Rhema is a cat head biscuit from the griddle of glory. That's what that is. And so that reminds me, and I brought it this morning because I thought, boy, that fits with the text this morning. Please pray that God will habitually give us cat head biscuits from the griddle of glory. Pray that the men of this church will habitually get cat head biscuits from the griddle of glory as you lead your family as you lead them in the Scriptures. It's an intimidating thing. It's an intimidating thing to open this book and teach it to anybody. If it's not intimidating to you, then something's wrong with you. So if you are intimidated by it, you're in good company. By the way, you should be. 
Because if you're not, then that means you don't fear God enough, probably. I heard John MacArthur say one time, and he's one of the best pulpiteers I guess there is in our day. He said every time he walks up to the pulpit, he trembles. After doing it for 40 years, he still trembles. And I thought, wow, no wonder he preaches so effectively. And so, you men, when you open up the Word of God, let's pray that God will give our men and our spiritual leaders cathead biscuits from the griddle of glory. Because the enemy hates shepherds. And the reason the enemy hates shepherds is because the enemy hates sheep. And he hates shepherds because shepherds' responsibility is to maintain Christian distinctives to make us live a distinctive life where the lines are blurred all around us so that there is a Christian witness emerging in your neighborhood, your place of worship, your place of work, and every other sphere of influence that God purposes to give you. That the Christian distinctives stay in place. Jesus said you're set apart by the Word that I've given you. It's, the, it's what we believe and who we believe in that sets us apart from everybody else around us. When you go down there and talk to them in five points, what separates what you're sharing with whatever they believe is this. And we have to maintain that. There are hills to die on. And dear ones, this is one of them. This is the hill to die on right here. The Word of the Living God. And we hold it fast and we hold it faithful. And we've got to look forward to a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. Praise his holy, righteous name.